Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today's show is about miscarriage and pregnancy. Up to one in four pregnancies will end in miscarriage, so why is this not talked about more? How can we honor and acknowledge these losses and the moms that experience them? How can we support those who've experienced loss? Dr. Jessica Zucker is here to tell us more. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by the first eight days of being a mom, a day-by-day manual on taking care of the new mom as well as her newborn. Get a 10% discount by going to the first eight days.com slash birthful. That's with the number eight, the first eight days.com slash birthful. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, mamas and mamas-to-be. I want to thank you once again for all the love that you're giving the show and give you a quick reminder that it would be super helpful if you could rate the show on iTunes. And to do that, go to birthful.com slash review, click on view an iTunes link, then on the ratings and reviews link and give us as many stars as you think we deserve. In that birthful.com slash review page, I've also created a little screencast video to show you how to do it because it can be... I know I had a hard time finding it. So if you can do that, I would be so, so grateful. So today on the show, we're going to be talking about miscarriages and pregnancy with Dr. Jessica Sucker. And Dr. Jessica is a, an LA-based psychologist and writer specializing in women's reproductive and maternal mental health. She launched the I Had a Miscarriage hashtag campaign with her first New York Times piece in 2014. And she contributes to a m- number of publications, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, BuzzFeed, Glamour, Modern Loss, Every Mother accounts, Goop, Brainchild Magazine, Medium, Anthologies, and many others. Recently, Dr. Zucker created a line of pregnancy loss cards to provide a concrete and meaningful way to connect in the aftermath of loss. Jessica, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy you're here. So one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you about the subject of miscarriage is because it is so much more prevalent than we think. How often does miscarriage occur? Miscarriage is incredibly common, unfortunately, and is an experience of a woman losing a pregnancy. Um, And the statistics show that approximately one in four, one in five pregnancies end in loss which is a very high number, and it's kind of a staggering statistic because we don't hear that much about it. Um, You know, I was looking through your New York Times piece uh, for Motherload called Saying It Loudly, I Had a Miscarriage, which launched the I Had a Miscarriage hashtag, and you, it it was very powerful to me, so thank you for writing that. Um, And one of the, well, your phrases you used is that, this life-threatening, heart-cracking experience eclipsed everything that had come before. Very powerful world, <laughs> words. It's um, actually powerful to hear it back because I haven't um, reread the piece in quite some time. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. No, and no. Thank you for doing that. And I'm sorry if if that brings up stuff. Um, but the truth is, lots of moms go through this in a very silent way. Why don't why do you think we don't hear more about it? 
I think that unfortunately, well, the research shows that women, a majority of women are experiencing a sense of shame, self-blame, and even guilt after a pregnancy loss. So I think that has um, in part a lot to do with why women aren't sharing their stories more loudly. Also, there's something to be said about privacy. Some people don't want to share, and that's their prerogative, and I completely understand and respect you know, why women would want to keep certain things in their lives, uh, you know, more personal and private. And uh, we, as a culture, we really struggle with this idea of out-of-order losses. So when it comes to a loss of a grandparent, for example, someone who we hope has had a long and meaningful life, our culture tends to have rites and rituals that we're really familiar with. Um, when, when, they, when they die. When it comes to an out-of-order loss like this, we, we're pretty confounded. So oftentimes people are trying to focus on the positive. So, for example, at least you know you can get pregnant is something that people often say. Or people might say something like, well, you were ambivalent about having a child anyway, or at least you have your one healthy child, or at least you're young, you'll be able to get pregnant again, or there are other ways to build your family. I mean, it just goes on and on, the amount of things that people say in reaction to these losses. And, you know, they're well-meaning, but it doesn't mean that it helps the woman process her grief. It doesn't mean that it acknowledges how isolating this can be. And oftentimes these things aren't actually true. We don't know if this person will be able to carry a pregnancy to term. So we, we don't need to be, you know, predicting the future of people because we're so uncomfortable in this moment of loss mm-hmm. or these experiences of loss. I mean, that's what I've sort of come to understand this in a, in a very different way than maybe I originally thought about it. I think it's actually, so the griever is clearly in pain and uncomfortable and um, experiencing a whole host of emotions, probably. But it's also the person receiving the information, actually, that um, they, they too may be sort of speechless, confounded, and without you know, a real understanding of what to do or say. And so they may be so uncomfortable that they're saying things that just actually don't make much sense. Right. And they might be thinking afterwards, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I said that. And because we're not used to acknowledging this loss, we want to empathize. We want to care. We want to hug. But Mm -hmm. we also don't have the words. So what would be some good things to substitute or to say instead of the phrases that you just mentioned? Yeah, so I would, I would love to kind of start by saying, though, that, you know, it's not like there's right and wrong necessarily. So it's not so binary. It's not so black and white. Because I, I, what I don't want is for people to feel even more on eggshells, like, mm-hmm. because that might make people that much more sort of quiet or clammed up around these really important topics. So I prefer somebody to say the wrong thing than to say nothing because they can always go back and say, what was I thinking? I was so nervous, I guess. I was so uncomfortable. I just, I, I don't know what I said, but all I really want to say is I love you and I'm here and 
I may not understand what you're going through, but it, that doesn't matter. I, I want to be here with you to support you. Um, so, you know, my sense is the best thing to say to someone is, how are you? How are you feeling? Um, and, you know, and so that it's just that simple. Mm-hmm. Because I think when we make assumptions, we get into um, waters that are difficult. So to think, oh, I can't believe you went through that. You must be so devastated. Well, maybe that person isn't. Or to say to someone, you know, oh, this is God's plan. Well, that may not be true at all, and this person may not believe in God or a plan or anything like that. So it's just it ends up being kind of inappropriate um, when we put our own feelings about some of these things or our own philosophies or theoretical frameworks onto somebody else's life. Mm. So, and yeah, so saying, how are you? But actually, I, th- I, I find that your body language and your eyes can mm. just transmit a host of things that maybe mm-hmm. your words can't. So yeah. saying, oh, how are you? Rather than maybe looking the person in the eyes. And- <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I was assuming that this was like over text or on email or something or on the phone. Oh, okay. But, but yeah. yeah, I mean, if you're in person, then yes, you're right. I think that's such an important point that the context of your bodies being together And depending on the type of relationship you have, you can really sort of try to read what they're going through. And But again, just asking can be so helpful and so meaningful um, by saying, how are you doing? I've been thinking about you. And then they can say what they want. Someone could say, I've been in hell, but I don't want to talk about it today. Or Mm -hmm. I've been actually fine, period. Or... I'm in the middle of it, you know, and thank you so much for asking. I'd love for us to discuss it if you're, you know, if you want to. Um, Mm -hmm. It it gives somebody the opening, right? It's like by asking how they're feeling, it allows them to share or not share. And they can also walk away feeling like even, again, I'm just like, in my scenario that I'm making up in my mind, the person that's asking, maybe they can't even understand. Maybe they haven't been through something similar. Um, But at least the griever then can sort of walk away feeling like their friend made an attempt, made an effort, made a connection after their loss. Yeah. And the checking in, like you were mentioning also through texts or voicemails or it can also leave the person that feeling that you're caring about me and not necessarily that I have to answer even? Precisely. And that's where I kind of see the cards coming into play. So I think following up over a period of time is a really thoughtful gesture. Um, Some of my cards in this uh, line of pregnancy loss cards kind of try to convey this sense of consistency. So All too often, you know, someone loses a pregnancy and someone checks in a couple of times and then they're hoping maybe to hear better news from that person soon thereafter that they're pregnant with a healthy pregnancy or something. And I think the card is another way that someone who, you know, loves the person who lost um, can convey the sense of I'm here for you and I'm here for you always. So 
it's not just this week. So a a couple of the cards kind of get at that point of consistency because for some people, because grief is circuitous and it's not linear and it doesn't know a timeline, some people are really okay, let's say, in in the aftermath of their loss because they have to be, let's just, you know, um, use an example where somebody has a child already. And so they're trying to keep it together, even if they're feeling really upset, but maybe a week or two or a month or five months down the road, it hits them for whatever reason. And so it would, it's nice to know that loved ones are available and sort of open to having a discussion of this kind at any time. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I really like that about the cards. And another thing I, I really liked about it when I was looking through them is that they have messages that can connect and help you feel true to yourself, but also true to the the relationship you have with that person. So you have cards like, and I'm going to read some of the the what they say. Um, you have some that say, I'm deeply sorry for your loss which can yeah. be the way that somebody can acknowledge that or if but then there's another one that's more intimate that says I imagine you feel like shit right now <laughs> but I had to remind you how wonderful I think you are. Yes. And my favorite just because that would fit me as a person um yeah. and we're going to make this an explicit show is you know fuck this is God's plan fuck everything mm-hmm. happens for a reason fuck time erases pain. Fuck! Mm-hmm. At least you know how to you can know you can get pregnant. Fuck! It wasn't meant to be. Mm-hmm. And it ends with fuck heartbreak, you know, because yeah, right. These are things that I, I really wanted to sort of express in a way the anger behind some of these feelings or the frustration or the disappointment in hearing some of these types of sentiments that just you know, are maddening for a lot of women. And because I specialize my practice in women's reproductive and maternal mental health, I'm hearing about this all the time. So even patients of mine who previously maybe believed in God or were deeply invested in spirituality, after uh, a complicated loss, um, a loss of a pregnancy or a loss of an infant, they may be questioning the whole everything Mm -hmm. about theology and philosophy and, you know, humanity. And so hearing something like this just does not help. It just does not feel good. Mm -hmm. What, um, and I I, I can understand the sort of purpose uh, that the cards intend to, you know, that void they intend to fill of connection and support and empathy. Um, But in terms of the person who has experienced the miscarriage, what are some things that can help her um, to process the mm-hmm. what has gone with her? I guess, like, you know, maybe like honoring losses or, or how do we do that? Mm. Yeah, well, I guess, of course, because I'm a psychologist, I would say that um, – seeking counsel, you know, whether that be psychotherapy or whatever people believe in to be helpful in terms of some way of sitting with another human being who um, maybe is even outside of a friendship circle or family circle even to really address what's going on. And I think that meeting in a consistent way, so let's just say weekly, 
um, is helpful because you don't know how you'll feel. So one week you might feel okay, and it's tempting to say, oh, I, I'm good. You know, I think I, I got over this. I'm moving on. I, I just want to focus on the positive and, and move forward. That's totally understandable. It's just that the next week the person may be feeling almost the complete opposite and without support waiting for them, um, you know, it, it might be uh, a difficult time. And other ways that we can honor our losses, everybody does things, of course, differently, but, you know, some people honor um, the unborn baby on the anniversary of the loss, which is what I tend to do. And But some people choose to honor on the uh, the date that the the due date of the baby and and others choose to do it at various times so people come up with different kinds of rituals like writing a letter to the baby or you know lighting candles or even making a memory box um, or going to a particular place that maybe they envisioned they would be spending time with the baby and and spending time there. And, of course, people who have infants die, you know, and if they're at a cemetery, then people are going to visit that way. Mm-hmm. And it is... It, it, it seems very important because I, I'm like... I, so I see it from my point of view as a doula, Um that I know that if a mom, say, had a, a cesarean section previously and we're going for a VBAC, yes. in the moments through the labor where things happened before that were game-changing in the previous um, preg- labor, mm. those cause triggers and can affect where they are right now Mm -hmm. so I can imagine that you know the due date or the the anniversary of the loss can become triggers completely I've found in my experience so I had a 16-week miscarriage about it's been three years now and I find that the anticipation of the date of my loss brings up even more emotion sometimes than the actual day I think the first year, the, the actual day was incredibly intense. And I'll add to that, though, that because I was pregnant again, um, so it was a mix of things, I was kind of terrified mm-hmm. in my subsequent pregnancy. And I was, you know, bawling with new life in me and scared about, you know, this life lasting, but also mourning the loss of what wasn't and what was. Wow, that's so powerful that you were living those two things together. And it, one mm. of the questions that I wanted to ask you is, you know, for moms that have gone through all that loss and they become pregnant again, emotionally, what should they consider and watch out for to help them through the what they're help them what they're going through at that moment? Mm-hmm. You mean when they're pregnant again after a yeah, loss? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that this is such an under-talked-about issue, and uh, there is a wonderful group, uh, and I think it's an online magazine called Pregnancy After Loss Support, and they tackle this issue beautifully. Uh, Because, and, And that's why I made a card that specifically spoke to this, because I really haven't seen anything in the marketplace Um, that addresses this very thing. So if somebody, for example, had a stillbirth, 
So let's say somebody was pregnant for 38, 39, 40 weeks and gives birth to a baby that's not alive. And they go on to get pregnant, let's say six months later. Mm-hmm. How are they going to trust that things are going to go smoothly this time? So I would imagine that person would need so much support, even after finding out, let's say you test and everything's fine and everything's fine and everything's fine. It doesn't matter, right? Because our psyches don't always match up with the, the facts that you see on a piece of paper or on the screen, you know, seeing the heartbeat or whatever. It's, it's, you're still, you still might be riddled with fear and uh, dread even. So it's incredibly important, I think, for women who are in these kinds of situations to, again, you know, maybe be in therapy processing this along the way. And if not that, or in addition to that, maybe uh, developing some sort of practice whether it be a meditation practice or a, be, a breathing practice, some sort of way to connect in with themselves and to really sort of try to calm the mind if the mind is all over the place because it, it, it seems almost inevitable that it would be. Yeah, and it, it, it can be very scary, absolutely. And maybe not trying to, I guess, not do to themselves what they don't want other people to do. So sort of like that, oh, you know, try to put it out of their minds. That's the past Mm -hmm. and just put it out of their mind and not acknowledge the fact that I'm scared shitless. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And like acknowledge, but also that this is different. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's how do we live in a body for 10 months of pregnancy after you've been through something that feels devastating or scary or disappointing, it is quite a journey, you know? So pregnancy after pregnancy loss is very different than pregnancy before a loss. Yeah. And, and during pregnancy, there's enough research to show that mothers are more susceptible. So that compounds the situation. Mm. That That's true. Yes. Yeah, so you're talking about perinatal anxiety. Yeah, I'm talking about in general during pregnancy, you mm-hmm. are more susceptible to everything, to smells, to thoughts, to oh, words. Oh, right. To... Yes, yes. To having a heightened sense of things, right? Yeah. That's exactly right. Yes. So you might be yes. making a bigger thing even that you would if you mm-hmm. were thinking about it not pregnant. Truly. And for me, because I, you know, my loss was is so traumatic the way that it occurred, um, yeah, I mean, there also might be some post-traumatic stress going on. And so, yes, what you're speaking to also is there might be a, a heightened sense of vigilance in a subsequent pregnancy, you know, because, as you say, you're pregnant, so you're you're more aware. And um, But also because if there was trauma, you're going to be that much more aware. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, Jessica, how would you like to see things change around miscarriage attitudes and support if you could and and your cards are obviously a step towards that direction but what would your utopia around this topic look like (laughs) well that's a good question because of course my initial thought is you know for it to not happen but that's that's not possible so ideally the next generation or future generations grow up in a society where we can talk about 
loss, pregnancy loss, miscarriage, stillbirth, infant loss, almost as comfortably as we discuss what we're having for dinner tonight. So that this is not a taboo topic, there is no stigma, and that we are open about it, that we can be there for people, that we don't feel ashamed, and that there is fluidity in the conversations, and that we can recognize that grief knows no timeline, and therefore we can show up for people over time, and we can feel what we feel whenever we feel it. Mm -hmm. Just acceptance and and acknowledgement. Exactly. Of this happening. With all the work that you've done um, with the I Had a Miscarriage hashtag and um, now with the cards, what are the, has there been any feedback that you've received that has been surprised or that you weren't expecting or from, you know, from the, the mother mothers ha- have experienced this? I actually really conceived of the cards thinking that they were a political and cultural sort of message. I, I wasn't expecting them to sell. Um, so I, I didn't really plan on that, but yes, I mean, they seem to be resonating with, people all over the world, which is just so intense and heartening. And, um, you know, and then it's been beautiful to receive countless emails from women around the world sharing their stories with me and expressing gratitude that these cards exist. And even women who had losses over a decade ago saying, I wish these cards existed when I had my loss. Um, And I understand, you know, in part, these are born out of the fact that I wish these existed when I had my loss because, and I I tried to incorporate a lot of what I felt and what I've heard from my patients into the cards so that we can sort of no longer say that these don't exist. Mm. Yeah. Um, What you mentioned, the pregnancy after loss support online group, do you have other favorite resources for moms who've experienced miscarriage or oh there's so many wonderful women um doing this work right now so yes um reconceiving loss is an incredible resource another one is called mommy interrupted i just uh wrote a piece that was published on mashable last week with with those founders of those organizations um I think that's all I can think of at the moment. Mm-hmm. And what I'll do is I'll post uh, links to those in the show notes so that people can follow through. And I know. I feel like um, I'm going to miss some and then I'm going to feel bad, though. Well, um, if you think of some, you can send them to yes. me. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think finally, what what myths are there? What common misconceptions mm. around this process or this experience of miscarriage that you would like to see busted? Well, I wrote a piece that was published in the Washington Post in January that was really all about how miscarriage is not contagious. Of course, we all know that it's not. But what I was trying to get into was the fact that, you know, it seems like people in part shy away from discussing this because they somehow think that if it happened to you, it's going to happen to me if we actually talk about it. So I'm trying to, yeah, I guess bust that myth in that piece. And, you know, another thing that I wish would melt away from our cultural understanding of miscarriage is that this is somehow something to be ashamed of or that somehow 
someone should feel guilty or even blame their bodies or feel ashamed of um, to the point where they don't, you know, feel like their partner is going to care for them or, or love them as much anymore or respect them as much anymore. Um, because unfortunately, especially what I've seen with repeated losses is that women really come to feel that something is wrong with their body and that somehow they're not, you know, as much quote unquote, a woman because of, um, this, you know, very difficult journey that they've been on. And I, I wish that that did not exist, that these yeah. feelings just would, would evaporate. And which is incredibly a hard situation because it's not like we can fix it and make it way, go away. That's true. And that's the thing. You know, miscarriage is not a disease. Pregnancy loss is not a disease. We are not looking to cure this. And that is precisely why I... I'm so invested in the cultural conversation changing because it's not like we can just, you know, oh, okay, great. You know, within the next five years, we're going to find, you know, a cure and therefore we don't have to discuss this or deal with it anymore. It's the opposite. It's just going to continue. And so it just would be helpful if we could find ways to get, I guess, comfortable in the uncomfortability of loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and we know that we are not even comfortable usually with, or most of us, I am, but a lot of the population is not comfortable with the concept of death either. True. Just the, That's right. the a normal process of be born and death and that death is, can be really mm-hmm. uncomfortable, much yes. less this out of order loss, exactly. as you had mentioned. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we do, you know, I think it's not as uncomfortable when a grandparent dies, right? Because if that person has lived a long life, Mm -hmm. people do seem somewhat comfortable talking about that. But if it's, yeah, if it's out of order, then it's scary. You know, it's really scary. Yeah, absolutely. Jessica, um, how can the listeners connect with you and follow what you are doing if they want to know more. Sure. They can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Zucker. And if they want to check out the cards or anything about my background, they can go to the shop, which is online. It's shop.drjessicazucker.com. Great. And that's with a Z, Zucker. Yeah. (laughs) And I'll put it on the notes so people can read it. Sure. Um, Yeah. Thank you so much for being in the show. It's been really lovely. Thank you so much for having me. Mamas, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Stay in touch by following Birthful on Facebook or Twitter. And even better, become a part of the Birthful community by subscribing at birthful.com. You'll get access to bonus episodes and other exclusive goodies. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when we'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Mighty One, did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? 
That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know. 